You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Lurus of the Dream Den got a surprise ban in Modern and Pioneer. What does the future hold for our favorite companions? Plus a first look at Streets of New Capenna and testing results with Isochron Scepter. That's all coming up on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, coming to you from the Twin Cities. I am joined by Mr. Mordekaiser himself. hey From the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> what is up? On the way from the Southern Hemisphere. Hey, David. How's it going? So weird to be with you tonight. Yeah, we are kind of uh, altering our uh, recording schedule here as people uh, leave and come back, etc. We are, of course, joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Caved In Online, Daniel Schriever. Dan, what's going on? I feel like I'm waking up from a dream, David. Or possibly a nightmare. <laughs> the end of a nightmare. <laughs> the end of a nightmare. It's the end of a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, so super big news that I, I, I wasn't expecting. I thought they were supposed to be announcing <laughs> these things before they happened. All of a sudden, Monday morning, I, we uh, get a, a message from Dan on our podcast uh group chat and it's like man they banned Luris in not just modern but pioneer uh came out of nowhere we have to discuss that that has huge implications especially for the modern format we are also going to get into our voted on brew around card which is isochron scepter and we're going to take a look at the very brief uh nuka penna spoilers before we do that, of course we have a little bit of housekeeping to take care of so we want to give a big shout out to our newest patron Christopher C., welcome to the Faithless Brewing, Faithless Brewing patron. Just a reminder, if you'd like to support us, the best way to do so is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing and join at uh, any level that you feel comfortable. Yeah, a pledge at any tier will get you access to our Discord channel. We are now in a brave new world, post-Lurus world for both modern and pioneer. So if you want to figure out what's the best thing to brew in any of our formats, Faithless Brewing Discord, that's the place to be. We also have at the higher tiers, if you're interested in merch, we have stickers, we have playmats. You can find all of that at our Patreon as well. And every single dollar helps us keep going, bringing new stuff, and, you know, just keeping, keeping us going with brand new ideas, trying to find the best new sport in the meta. Exactly. We also have a couple of new reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's another way you can support the show if you're a fan, if you listening for a while and just want to help spread the good word any review helps boost us in the algorithm and helps people figure out that hey we're a sort of legit outfit <laughs> we exist hello there hello world <laughs> we're out there exactly i mean that's basically what they're for you know if you're on spotify you can throw us five stars if you're in the spotify app and if you're on apple it it's really nice if you can leave us a little written review we usually have damon give us a dramatic reading of those reviews but since he is not with us this week I believe that task falls to Emmy. 
So I'm gonna do my best, and I'm gonna suck at impersonation, so don't take this seriously, please. Specifically, Damon. Or do. <laughs> Hot take. This show is the best magic content available, and that's hyperbolic, so let me explain. The people in this show are very talented and insightful, plumbing the depths of Pioneer and Modern to find the gems and bring them to the surface. And it's so in a polished, hilarious way that it's good playing fans to listen to. If that wasn't enough, the intro music makes me want to dance. As a player and lover of the game for close to two decades, that's my age, so thank you, Magic Boomers. <laughs> and someone who has sampled the breadth of Magic podcasts available out there, I cannot recommend this one enough. Long live the Faithless Crew. <laughs> Yeah, glowing review from uh, Mick Mulligan. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, big thanks to Mick Mulligan. They also had a separate note saying they applaud your efforts and need to <laughs> put your mattress up against the wall. <laughs> it was a mix of efforts, the new microphone, courtesy of, of course, the donors and the, faith and the podcast itself. So, you know, as I said, every dollar is getting back into slowly making this better. And, well, the beautiful mattress against my wall that you can see in the Discord just trying to make it. Yeah, it is something we are working on, um, so we appreciate everyone's feedback on that. Uh, got another review from Hanno928, who simply says, Audio sounds great. Outstanding content and improved audio. Love it. So thank you, Hanno, for that kind review. All right, enough housekeeping. Let's get into it. March 7th, Monday morning. What a morning, and I was at work of all things. I was at the side I was working on, and all of a sudden... I get these strange messages in a, in a group that we always assume was a, a meme or like a fake post saying <laughs> Lurus is banned in two formats and, and popper stuff that no one really cared about. But <laughs> the big news that, 90, that shook 99% of the magic community, Lurus is banned in every single format by historic and vintage. Right now. And that was... Mind blow. It was unexpected because they had been announcing bans for like two years now. And all of a sudden, you just wake up a Sunday morning to the news that the staple in modern had disappeared. So is that the new normal now that they are no longer going to announce bans? Because they didn't really talk about the sort of meta process. Uh, very typically, they would make an announcement on Friday often, right? That a ban announcement is going to be made affecting formats X, Y, and Z on Monday. Keep an eye out for it. That did not happen this time. It took everybody by surprise. Right. Was it like a month ago that they had announced multi-format bans coming next week? And then that got everyone up, whipped up into a frenzy. And maybe they just felt like that backfired because, because they announced it, everyone like created all these expectations. And then by the time the actual ban day came and it was like, oh, we rebalanced a bunch of dungeons in alchemy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... The multi-format changes are alchemy stuff. I don't worry, guys. It's 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 clearly MTGO players. This is what they care about. This is what they're here for. It is worth noting that they issued a. Uh, I don't know if it was Aaron Forsyth or if it was the Magic Twitter feed itself. Actually, had a survey that said like, "Would you like us to announce the bands ahead of time? Would you like us to just make an announcement like the first Monday of every month? What well, like what would you like us to do?" But they didn't say, like, we're going to take this feedback and make judgments from it. They never reported back, like, we got feedback X, Y, and Z, and we're adjusting our reporting from it. So that was the first thing. I mean, there was no expectation that there would be a ban. There weren't even any rumors. And the Magic community loves floating rumors that so such and such cards <laughs> being banned or unbanned at all times. So this was really, like, one of the all-time, like, out-of-nowhere moves. 
And you have a note here, Dan, which is very accurate. At that month ago thing, they were very consciously saying we are monitoring Luris, but we don't have a formal watch list. We think that's harmful. And we at this, this time don't think Luris ought to be banned. And basically nothing has changed since then. Right. So that's the question. Did anything change? Here's what they said about the Luris ban in modern. In modern, Luris's play rate was 31% in Magic Online League decks that started with four wins. So, I mean, I guess we're chumps here. We're trying to get that 5-0. What we really should have been aiming for was being a League deck starting with four wins. I think I can justify that. Like, mathematically, assuming a Lurus deck has like 55% win rate, that number is going to go down to 17% in 5-0s. Like, outstandingly lower, just based on math. And that number is not but resembling of the truth that it's like with every single step of the way it's going to go significantly lower so the fact they can get the 4-0 at the 31% rate shows how much it's played rather than its win rate well that's fine but like why why the 4-0 specifically why not the 3-0s or the 4-1s I think it's because of the significant difference in like how consistently can you 3-2 and 4-1 compare to 4-0 or 5-0? Like, the consistency at which you can actually get a 3-2, it's a lot higher because when you, once you play with the four with the other 4-0 player, the bracket changes a lot. There was this meme two weeks ago that every single time you are 3-0 on a modern league, you would face Grixis the Shadow. Which, ironically, <laughs> is sort of the perfect meme to explain the situation. Because literally we're looking <laughs> at the Grixis Shadow match that won that game. And the literal meme was, <laughs> every single 3-0, you face Grixis Shadow. And that's truth. It was actually true. It really wasn't the Grixis Shadow, it was like another tier 1 Lurus deck. In the good old days, or bad old days, a lot of people would drop it 4-0 a lot of times so that their deck technology would not get published before tournaments. But of course, they destroyed the Pro Tour, so that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one is going to check the modern 5-0 for the, for the Pro Tour deck list because it's not yeah. modern ever. <laughs> yep. I did prefer a lot these sort of unannounced bannings for the single reason I hate playing a full format, a dead format for a yes. few days. It's so... Agree, agree totally. It's a really angry feeling. I, I, I don't even play. When a bounce has been made till it resolves, I don't play. I hate it. I just feel like I'm not actually playing anything. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I was playing when the announcement went up and the opponent that I got queued against like revealed Luris and we actually had like a nice little chat about it. He was like, my boy, no, what happened? We said, okay, we'll try to give Luris a nice little send off here. One last 5-0 for the road. And then they stomped me with uh, the Oni Celt Anvil deck. And Luris was very impressive, I have to say. Luris um, is impressive. <laughs> also really fun. There's, there was a bunch of people on Twitter being like, hey, I'm on round two of my tournament, of my FNM. <laughs> it's like, in my deck is not legal in the format. <laughs> because <laughs> it was like announced and it became effective at the exact same time. Like it wasn't like 24 hours. So li people literally were like, go home to work with their FNM deck ready. And by the time they got to their FNMs, the deck was banned. <laughs> so they had to just remove Lurus. They were all arrested at their FNMs by <laughs> the BNR police. All right, so in terms of the justification for this, I mean, in some sense, it doesn't require justification because we've all been talking about it so long that it's almost like hard to feel anything about, about this announcement. But the exact reasoning at the end of the modern section is due to play data, 
Community feedback and a desire to keep as diverse a range of card options as possible available to players in Modern. Luris is banned in Modern. I mean, to me, this is like a second or third order effect of Modern Horizons 2. Uh, Luris play dramatically increased once Modern Horizons 2 was printed because there are a bunch of great one-mana threats. Uh, obviously, Ragavan, etc., etc. I won't list all of them. Um, and the uh, win rate increased, you know, exponentially at that time. And then the the proponents of these cheap threats made Luris more popular. And then you have to play Luris to compete against Luris, etc., etc. So functionally, this is a Modern Horizons two ban without banning any Modern Horizon two cards. Yeah, I sort of agree. The fact that they gave so many just ridiculously powerful one drops and two drops and Ursa Saga as a three mana play that all fell all fell under the, the Lurus just legality just made it insane. Like Ragavan Darcy has presenting El Ursa Saga were the perfect package just to say Lurus is becoming more free by the day. I don't have to go like up the curve. I don't need to play Season Pyro if I can just play Ragavan and Ursa Saga. Yeah, and Saga fetching only ones means that inherently a deck that has a lot of targets for Saga, all those cards are Lurus legal. So when we talk about Hammer Time, for instance, you you have both Lurus and the Saga, and just your also your nut draws. So you, you have you know sort of three ways uh, on which you attack. But yeah, I think the Lurus ban, even not from a power level sake, is like it's a huge problem with design as a card design it just soft bans so many cards like the whole meme like Lilian of the Belcha Lilian of the Belcha got that unbanned like that's the weirdest part of Lurus it sort of makes it so whenever you're trying to print a three mana card that's focused on modern it cannot be a permanent or it's gonna be unplayable if it's in Ragdos colors or Grixis colors and I think the format had lost a lot of interest and again I, I this is I think a second or third order effect of Modern Horizons 2 the format is going to get stale because so few cards can affect it. Um, and you had, you know, Canister is not playing modern as much anymore. Gabriel Nassif basically does not play modern anymore. Doomwake, who's a huge modern streamer, wasn't even streaming modern anymore, disliked the format. Um, Todd Anderson only plays Pioneer. Uh, Saffron Olive was talking about how much how Pioneer become his new favorite format. Uh, multiple challenges weren't firing for the first time ever. This is this is the kind of thing they're going to need to start doing almost every season, regardless of power level. They're just going to have to take out one of the more powerful cards just to inject something new into the format, I think. I mean, that's a bit of hyperbole. Uh, it's a bit hyperbolic. A single challenge didn't fire, and it was the same thing as the Super Qualifier. Like, it was only one challenge. Also, the afternoon prelim the next day. More ominous signs. <laughs> yeah. But I think that Modern was in a tough spot. It was getting sort of repetitive because every single game was... You, you would see a companion every single game. And it was 65% Lurus, 15% Shorion, 10% Shiganta, and some Kahira. Because why not? <laughs> right. <laughs> Just because it's free. But it wasn't banned only on Modern, right? That's the other side of the coin. Yeah, David, what do you make of this? So Lurus also abandoned Pioneer, and the stats there were not as dramatic. 20% in Magic Online League decks with started, that started with four wins, compared to in Modern, they cited 31% of the 4-0 metagame in Leagues. So less dominant in Pioneer, and they acknowledge this. 
It's currently less dominant. However, we expect that Luris's metagame share will grow as Pioneer's card pool expands. So they ban Luris there as well. Preemptively, one might say. Yeah, so I think this is just the thing that they did when they banned Uro, which is just people were sick of Uro, so they just got rid of it because that's just like a generic play uh, experience thing. I didn't actually think Uro was bannable in Pioneer. Um, I don't think Luris is bannable. I actually think Luris is the only thing like keeping it fair. I don't think Luris decks are the best decks at all. If you pay me, if you put a gun to my head or the gun to my family's head and said I had to like <laughs> win a tournament and I had to pick decks, I would I would pick like four decks before I got to a Luris deck to win a major tournament. Um, so yeah, th- this is just a classic, like we just don't want to hear people bitch about it anymore. Like when they banned all the combo decks, they just banned like bad combos for no reason. Like, ah, that's also a combo. Like get the hell out of here. <laughs> they just somehow didn't ban Lotus field. We will never quite understand that. Yeah. I I'm not actually sure this makes pioneer better. I actually think it probably is going to make it worse weirdly. And their statement about uh, as the card pool grows, it's only going to make the companion better. That's true for every companion. Urian is much better in modern because the card pool is so wide. You have a bunch of duplicative effects. Um, Gigantha, you know, Obosh, you're just going to have more and more, you know, replicative effects at one and three and five. Um, all, all, all these, that's true for every other companion. Lutri, you know, you're just going to, you know, finally we have enough one mana cantrips. You can, that'll get better. So th- that's a strange thing to say. Uh because that, that statement is true for every companion. Uh, all companions get better as the uh, card pool increases. Yes, but I think it comes back to the last thing we commented on Modern. Lurus has a design problem. Like, every single card you have to... Lurus has enough power as a card that every card you design for a format has to ponder how strong Lurus is. Well, in theory, they're not designing any cards for Pioneer, right? Pioneer just kind of gets standard. I think they're really only designing around standard. Obviously, Modern Horizons is specifically designed for Modern. There's a one exact difference coming next year, which is the Lord of the Rings, which is designed directly for Pioneer and should have started development like six months ago. Hmm. So you think like the ring is like a zero mana <laughs> artifact that sacks to draw two cards or something? It, it, it could, but like... They make they make expansions two years previously, so like six seven months ago they should have started on Lord of the Rings, which is jumping standard straight to Pioneer, straight to Modern, not Pioneer. No, I, I think there's some confusion about that. I'm pretty sure it's historic and Modern, but not Pioneer. No, they actually said jumping just standard. Like in the official post, it says Pioneer. In the first official launch, time will tell. I suppose time will tell. <laughs> So I guess for me right now, I don't agree with the banning on in terms of power level. I don't agree with the banning in terms of ubiquity. I don't actually play against Luris very often, maybe once a league. Um, but I, I understand why they did it in the Uro level, where people are just sick of it as a card. It's a meme to bitch about on Twitter. And Wizards is really, really influenced by people bitching on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> people just hated Lurus like on every single possibility yeah that's that's where we're at they just let they let cards linger until everyone wants to get rid of it and it's like alright let's just clean house like nuke it from orbit that's the only way to be safe we're not gonna oh in this format uh, Uro is controlled because there's no fetch lands like ah eh, we don't give a shit we're not gonna think about it They're not. we're not gonna make a, a calculation based on a number we're just gonna get rid of it <laughs> So are you saying that they, they wait until everyone is so sick of it that by the time they ban it they're seen as like heroes saving the formats, like they're not willing to take a risk by making a controversial ban. They wait until it's like overwhelming, like misery. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. It's sort of like Obama, right? <laughs> or uh, like LBJ talking to Martin Luther King, like, make it popular and then I will pass the bill. <laughs> that's what Obama was always saying. He always was telling <laughs> activists, like, you need to convince the public. You know, Obama was always behind the mainstream in terms of like legalizing gay marriage, even though, of course, he on a personal level believed in gay marriage is a preposterous lie. But then once public opinion had changed, then, you know, the government started to do the things that it ought to have done because politicians are not brave and corporations are not brave either. Oh, so Aaron Forsyth evolved his opinions on Lewis. Absolutely. And the way he evolved it is like, man, <laughs> a modern challenge didn't fire and a prelim didn't fire and people are bitching about this all day. I'm sure he's just getting random tweets from like the biggest dickheads in magic. Like, dude, ban this forever. What the hell? You know, like Todd Anderson or whoever's just firing tweets at him. <laughs> Uh, BRB, I'm going to delete some tweets from my Twitter history. Me and my mother have to delete some tweets. I'm like actually threatening him not to ban Yorion. Like, they can take the cat, they can take anyone they want, just keep the snake alive, keep the noodle alive. They can do whatever they want with the rest. All right, so that's the last big piece of this. Um, what about companions as a whole? Nothing, they're perfect. They're perfectly, not, not, nothing. They're perfect. Okay, here's here's what they say <laughs> in the actual announcement. They have a little sidebar on companions, and they this is Michael Majors who they made write this announcement. Quote While Lyris's presence in modern and pioneer are large enough for us to act today, the rest of the companions are seeing a play rate that is in line with a diverse and healthy metagame. We'll continue to monitor them for undesirable and repetitive gameplay and make individual changes as necessary. So the companion mechanic gets to live, Lurus has to die. You can't even play Lyris in your main deck anymore. What do you guys make of this? Repeating Matic. <laughs> Rape my baby. <laughs> the innocent. You two are like the only people who wants to play main deck Lyris in the entire multiverse. <laughs> Rape my sweet baby. I think most people were expecting like maybe an entire wholesale ban on the companion mechanic. I mean, I don't think anyone was expecting that because no one was expecting a ban, but... Yeah. <laughs> not expecting, sorry, hoping for, advocating for. I would have been much happier just banning the mechanic uh, and then just let us play Urian main deck and let us play Lurus main deck. They do interesting things that no other cards do. They're, it's not like a... All the companions have interesting text. Um, most of them. So they're, some of them are interesting as main deck cards. So to like ban Lurus and not be able to play a main deck is a little frustrating. I think the card would have uses in... Certain corner cases. I proposed X with four Lur Luris main deck, for instance, uh, in Pioneer. Last week you did. Yeah. Or two weeks ago. The Kami of Transients deck. Yeah. I, uh, that deck was super sweet. I really, I didn't realize how close Luris was to getting banned in a format where it wasn't even that good. Uh, I guess I should have somehow read the tea leaves better on that one. But yeah, I mean, companions always feel like a weird anti-magic thing where you just get to start with eight cards because of some weird like home rule that also Wizards has agreed to. But uh, it is what it is at this point, and I think most people probably learn magic with companions being ubiquitous, so they're probably used to that being the normal, and to old people like us who feel like it's very abnormal, you know, we'll slowly be phased out as we die from old age. I mean, that's exactly what it is, right? It's like a house rule. Like, I, I can't quite put words to this, but whenever someone says Lurus is the most powerful card of all time or something... I just, I get like a little offended because I'm like, Lurus is not actually a card. Like if it didn't start in your deck, it's not a magic card. It's like a house rule. Like in our house, we get to start with a commander and like, this is how we play. And like, oh yeah, this commander is also more powerful than any card you could think of from the past. This commander is more powerful than Black Lotus because I get to start with it every game. I'm like, well, fine. 
that rule is broken, but like the card itself is just a card. Yeah, but the card has the rule printed on it, which is why I thought they could nuke it because you could just say, you know, companion used to just say you could cast from the companion zone. Then they change it to you have to pay three colorless mana at sorcery speed to put the companion for the companion zone into your hand. And you could just say <laughs> a card in the companion zone <laughs> has no text and cannot affect the game. You could just alter the companion rule again, you know, like Darth Vader, like pray I do not have to alter this deal further. I mean, they have they have edited mechanics in the past, but they have never banned a mecha- they have never banned a mechanic. They have made similar changes to other mecha- to other key- keywords. Like the first keyword change that they have seen was the cascade one. They literally said, okay, this is this, this is the card, but it, that isn't how it works. This is how it works. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't get bulky. I know if the card says you can get bulky, but you can't, okay? You just can't. So it's not unreasonable for wizards to actually make mechanic changes, but they have never went ahead and just banned a mechanic and as they could have done with like Storm or Cascade, which are like really easy to break. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying is you don't ban companion. You the companion mechanic still exists, but you just say like a car the companion zone has no text or whatever. <laughs> So then no one would ever build a deck and put anything in their companion zone because it doesn't do anything. Yeah. But I, I, didn't, I don't expect them to do that. I, I think Wizards does not accept that a companion was the worst mechanic ever. I think they're much closer to uh, Emmy's perspective on it, that they just maybe twiddled the dials too much. They haven't even acknowledged that like making the, the mana hybrid was a mistake. Uh, they haven't really acknowledged much of anything uh, other than the fact that they've had to wholesale alter the mechanic once and then ban the flagship version of it in almost every format. Yeah. I think the only mistake I've ever seen Wizard admit is Phyrexian Mana. Other than that, they are willing to die by their, by their decision-making. And Phyrexian Mana is back, baby. Tamiyo <laughs> yeah. complete. And the only mistake is back. <laughs> <laughs> it's back in a really fixed and really reasonable way because they knew what they were fiddling with. It's like whether the Storm calling Storm back. It's like in the least aggressive and most <laughs> and most toned down way possible. So the ban went into effect on Monday morning. Immediate reactions, apart from just like, oh my god, they actually did it. And just the surprise of it was, you know, the next wave of reaction is, oh, look, I just 5-0 with a companion deck in Modern. I, I swapped out Luris for Gigantha. Or, look, I took a shadow deck and put Obosh in it and 5-0'd again. Yes, they're just sort of memeing. Is this the future? Like, what can we expect for the companion companion future? I was going to say companionless, but that's not true, right? Well, it's interesting. I, I think a lot of people, you know, I, I saw Ari Lack say, well, can we just ban Urian now? Because I think I don't want to wait for six months of data. I actually think Urian decks get worse with Luris banned. Because I think Luris decks were inherently fair and Urian decks could go over the top of them. 100%. I'm not a modern expert anymore, so that's my, that's just my take. And then the combo decks are the decks that Urian struggles against because they don't have access to cyborg cards as readily. Of course, we know that cyborgs used to be much more important in modern. Now they're still important, but not quite at that level. I think we're going to go back to that point where Urian will be the dominant fair deck for sure, um, but I think the fair decks will get attacked. I think modern is going to maybe move back towards Urian dominating all the fair matchups, and then everyone else is kind of back to those sort of ships... Uh, crossing in the night, lots of combo decks or fast decks, Titan, uh, Tron, that kind of stuff. You have no idea how much times I have had this debate in the last 36 hours, where I literally <laughs> said the phrase, the biggest nerf to Yorion is banning Lurus. Because 
four color Yorion, which is the only Yorion deck that's actually being played. Like when people say Yorion decks, no, it's one Yorion deck that features like small different axes in Ephemerate and Ragavan. But it's like one Yorion deck and it's amazing against Lurus decks. Stupidly good against Yorion de- against Lurus decks. And struggles against non-Lurus decks, which are gonna slowly pop up as the incentive to just play low 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 cover cost cards gets reduced, interaction in the form of this card reduces. Camera time becomes a bit, a bit more mid-rangey, less combo-oriented, and if decks like Belcher, Tron, Storm, Scapeshift start to pop up, four color becomes worse. Like I was playing a league today, and I faced against Scapeshift, against Scapeshift Ring to Light, and against Sky Ascendancy. Like I was not facing three combo decks in a league before. So, do you think that there are any modern Luris decks? That like you could just continue to play without any changes and still have the same level of, of success. Hammer changes two cards, like literally Hammer takes out whatever and whatever and adds Nettle Seas plus Sword. So just the Stoneforge package gets slightly bigger. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hammer is literally 99.9% the same. I was looking at most of the builds yesterday and I was like, you go to Goldfish and you look at the first 15 decks. Four of them, five of them were... Um, Lurus decks. The, the Shadow, I think, is already adding um, the best card they were missing, which is a Strip Wraith, plus a few more derisions. Like, it's a 6-7 card change, and the deck's still amazing. Even First Negator in our Discord posted a decklist that he went 4-1 with in his first iteration with it. Um, I think he was playing... What's the name of the card? I always, I always forget the name. What, the Lutri deck? No, no, no! He went 4-1 with... Which has Grixie Shadow. Featuring Royal Science and Street Blaze. Oh, Royal Science. Yeah, okay. he's a slash Royal Science. But he got a 4-1 in the first try. So the deck's still alive. Most people are in multi-ration. Hammer just makes the Stoneforge package bigger. Prowess decks that were playing Lurus, like Burn, it's already back the meme that Lurus... That Burn got a buff because now they have 15 cyborg cards again. That shows how little relevance Lurus had in that deck, same as Prowess. And the, the only deck I think suffers severely from this to the point of remaking it completely is the Shun Saga deck, which was actually quite reliant on Lurus as a grind engine, and is now either evolving back into a Shun build with 3 mana Prince Walkers. Electric Bob got a 5 0 today with his ex Lurus Saga deck, Golgari Saga. Just added four Lydian of the Veil and one Grist. Hmm. And he got a 5-0. I do think that we'll see more of the uh, Delve Dragon. You know, it was basically just played in red-blue. Um, and it's it was so good, it basically justified that deck. I don't think they played any other permanents that weren't Lurus legal. I think that the Dragon can be combined with probably, like, Thoughtseize Inquisition effects. Um, what is that in a, a Shadow Shell? Is that in, you know, other shells? Just straight blue-black? Could it be in Grixis? I just think that will... It's at least worth exploring now that there isn't a Luris to sort of kick it out if you're going to add black. That's that's. Yeah. I'm I'm sure someone will make a deck where that card is a two or three of. It could even go into prowess decks as a as a way that you know it dodges the fatal push kind of stuff. Um, it's the best new companion. Like the meme was now there are two companions in modern Yorion and multi recent because they will be the two cards you see the most. <laughs> Like, Lurus was topping Regent from Shining, and if the Shadow used to play Angler, Multi-Regent is just 
so much more impressive as a Mashi card than Gurma Angler. Yeah, unless two blue is hard to come by in your weirdo mana deck or something. I mean, if they cast expressive ratio consistently. Yeah, yeah. That cannot be much of an issue. Okay, so that's modern. What about Pioneer? In Pioneer, the Lurus decks were the Rakdos decks, the Oni Cults, or the Blood Package. Also, the Insol Artifact decks with Machiko's Reign of Truth, the Sram Auras decks with Light Paws, the Burn decks, which were either mono red or sometimes red white, and that includes red white heroic. Am I missing any, David? Nope, those are the ones that matter. Um, yeah, I mean, those decks weren't that good. They were everywhere, though. They were, you know, borderline ubiquitous. I personally preferred playing against those decks than the kind of decks that they chased away. Um, I don't think most of them survive. I think the Oni Called Anvil deck is still a fine deck, but I'm guessing without Luris, Jun Food is just better. Then the question becomes, if there's so few artifacts, does Jun Food even want to play the main deck Karns? You know, they're maining Karn because there's all these Scissors decks, there are Oni Called Anvil decks, there's the Grease Fang deck. So maybe you reconfigure uh, that. Obviously, Blue Red Phoenix is still, in my opinion, the best deck. If if somebody had to make me like predict what was going to win a random tournament, that would just be my first pick. Um, but any deck that doesn't play Luris is better. The question becomes, a lot of these decks are pre-boarded to be very anti-aggro. Like I was playing four push, no thoughtsies. If you look at how like Blue White Control was building itself, they had very few counter spells and four sweepers, four March of the Lights and extra removal if there's going to be more mid-range decks then those kind of builds are wrong now so you know can you metagame against decks that are still heavily skewed towards aggro or not uh, i don't know so you would not advocate someone who is playing one of those former lurus decks to just keep playing their deck unchanged well i would play that deck unchanged like in three weeks Right now, people are still going to build their mid-range decks or whatever the old way that just has a ton of removal. And then people who are not playing cards that can be targeted there are going to dominate them. And then they'll have to shift to, you know, you can't cheat on your thought seasons. You have to play a bunch of them. Then you can play your scissors deck or whatever again, because now I've got multiple main deck thought seasons to try to fight these bigger control decks, more combo, etc. But like the scissors deck was fine um, before. It doesn't need Luris. You know, it often kills you before Luris matters. Um, and same with the Light Paws. Like, these are very powerful cards. You can maybe play a few extra three drops in there that you weren't playing. I don't know if there's, like, specific cards that were being kicked out. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's arguments for the Scissors deck to to basically exist. Maybe add a couple of the um, the two and a blue guy that makes an artifact 4-4. Four, four. Spacing on his name. He's an artificer. The, the Animist. Right? Yeah, the Animist, yeah. Three mana, one... Skilled Animist. Three, one, five, makes it a five, five. Yeah, whatever it is. Um, And same with Light Paws, maybe there's like a card or two that they want to add. But yeah, I mean, I think those those decks will still be fine because people are going to end up playing a lot less removal because, you know, you can't just load up your deck with, you know, fatal pushes against Phoenix. Uh, or if blue-white control becomes way more ubiquitous, I think, unfortunately, uh, Spirits and uh, Lotus Field are going to get better, so... Yeah, the meta will slowly shift away from, like, the biggest thing I saw in Pioneer is exactly what they were describing. People were, like, pre-boarded against the Lotus deck, and they just were like, I hope I face them because my deck is ready for them. 
And now... I mean, everyone was main decking for Portable Hole, right? So, I mean, that's because there were so many targets yeah. for it. And even other control decks, like white-blue control was playing Portable Hole because they knew there'd be targets. So they can't do that anymore. You'd have to play Portable Hole to get their Portable Hole. You even had targets against blue-white control. Um, but, the you know, that, that kind of arms race, I think, is, is going to go away. But it's going to take a while. Hmm. That's, yeah. Yeah, now playing a non-Lurus deck now is just exposing yourself to people that are not going to adapt their decks, and you're going to be nerfed. Like, you're going to be nerfed without people playing around you being nerfed, and that's the worst possible aspect. Yeah, I would play, like, Jund food with no Karn. Yeah, I know. Dust off the Herald of English, put that into the Oni Cult decks. <laughs> that's actually relevant. Yeah. There you go. I mean, that's the kind of thing you need to do is like go big, like change your threat package and punish people for playing Fatal Push, Portable Hole. All right. Well, we'll have to check back on that in a few weeks, or I'm sure we'll be checking in every week. Peering into the future. Speaking of which, we did get a little bit of a glimpse into the next set. Yes. Coming up in, I guess, what is this? Late April? Mid-April? Yeah. Mid-April. Streets of New Capena. New Capena. New Capena? I don't know if this is meant to be Italian set or something. I'm just going to say it in Spanish because it sounds correctly. <laughs> what is it in Spanish? New Capena. Capena. Capena? Capena. No. Capena. Exactly. <laughs> Late April, 29th April release. So almost two, one, two months away. Yeah, so they did a little mini spoiler. They showed us what we suspected. Uh, I think a lot of people, we're not going to give ourselves too much credit, but that there would be the new set of triomes. I really think it's a big miss, a really easy miss to not call these triomes again. They're named after random people. They have a reason for that. And that's, they, yeah, I, they, I, never, they never plan to reprint them again in a standard legal set. I don't give a shit. This is a huge mistake. <laughs> um and then they they previewed one card, uh, a new ascendancy in one of the shards we haven't seen an ascendancy in. Yeah, you're right. No, yeah, because not a single shard got an ascendancy. The clans got ascendancies. Right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. 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 So now we are getting five new ascendancies in the five yes colors that were missing them in in the you guys know the expansion. You guys know where the shards are from. They were originally from Shards of Alora. Yeah, okay. Hence the shards. Shards, makes sense. But that's ancient history, which is kind of sad. <laughs> say that. The good old days. Really long into my... <laughs> I had taken like two breaks from Magic before that came out. I was not playing at the time that uh, Shards of Alora came out. <laughs> yeah. So you already got the name of the five new shards. Obscura is Esper, Maestros is Crixis, Riveteers, Shand, Cavaretti, Isnaya, and Brokers are banned. We have the names, we have the colors, we have literally everything regarding flavor, and we have what we're heading for. So the new triomes, but they aren't called triomes for some made-up reason, are very important in Pioneer. Uh, they allow some of the larger decks that are trying to do the, like, triome on one, then Sylvie carry out it or some kind of ramp spell to actually play other colors. Bant was basically impossible. You, If you were going to play Bant, you had to basically play the fourth color, so then you should play Omnath every time. Now you can actually play Bant, uh, which is something people have been wanting to do for a long time in Pioneer. 
And then the Triumphs are probably even more important in Modern because you can just put one in your Urian deck and it can come into play on turn one a huge percentage of the time. No, this is also huge regarding, for example, the fact that you have... Like, Asolius Control plays Fire and Ice because it's free to splash red due to having the Sky Triumph. This is huge in enabling it to splash either black or green in small degrees with the same degree of consistency for any two-color pair. Like, Esperor Band are impossible to exist in the face of Sheskai just due to the Triumphs. It's that big of a difference. Hmm. And this fixes that. Now, this is like Spike's dream in a week, right? He got Band Triumph plus Lotus Band. <laughs> he got everything he desired in like a matter of a week. But yeah, specifically the Esper and Grixis Triumph, and the sh- because they are played in slow decks that can afford to run Triumphs, are the biggest like give in modern at least. But I mean, there's there have been Esper decks for a long time. Like before Modern Horizons 2, there was a very good Esper control list. So I mean, I'm sure this helps the mana. Obviously, anytime you print a Triumph, it's going to help the mana. But I don't think like Esper was unplayable without a single Triumph in the list to fetch. It becomes, a, I mean, look at Asorius control now. It isn't Asorius. It's Sheskai because Rogrin Triumph gives you access to Fernice. That's it, because Fernice is so easy to splash. When you have a Sheskai Triumph that you're going to play in your deck due to Prismatic Ending, it's sort of a, I'm already adding a color for Ending. Let me have something for that color to do. And... The band Triumph will likely say, get out Fire and Ice, get four Bailey in my sideboard, maybe an Ice Fan Quarrel and play Band. Because it's better than Rare, and I was but the difference in having a Triumph versus not having it is huge. Regarding how you play the early game. Yeah, so it's one of those things where like modern decks will only add one Triumph, a bunch of Pioneer decks will play four, but you'll actually see the Triumph a lot more in the modern decks. <laughs> exactly. Fetch lands are by far the best card in the entire... In the game. In the history of the game. For some reason. Well, it's Luris, then fetch lands. <laughs> <laughs> so the best cards in Magic are pre-nerf Lurus, followed by Black Lotus, followed for post-nerf Lurus. <laughs> so, new Triumphs. The Ascendancy they showed us looks like it's pretty good and attracts the EDH decks. It's the Broker's Ascendancy. I'm not going to call it Brokers. I'm just going to call it Bant. Bant Ascendancy. <laughs> yeah, Bant Ascendancy. Green, white, blue, enchantment. Beginning of your end step, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control and a, and a loyalty counter on each planeswalker you control. That's probably the last time we will mention this card on this podcast. Yeah. All right. I thought the same thing. Let me let me pitch some some play patterns to you, okay? Oh. Okay, all right. So I, I spoke too soon. We play, we play ban, we play ban ascendancy on turn three. If we're playing pioneer here, okay. And then we play Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis on turn four and minus it. Okay, so Elspeth, Sun, Nemesis comes in, makes two soldiers when you do that, yep. and then they both get plus one plus one, and then Elspeth instead of minus twoing effectual, effectively minus ones. So if they can't kill Elspeth that turn, and you have two blockers, you could do it over and over again. And then your creatures, mm. it's way better than, um, you know, a crusade effect or whatever, you know, a bad moon effect. Because they are getting infinitely large. And Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis, of course, after your red-black deck spends a bunch of mana killing it and multiple cards, I just buy it back eventually. And again, the enchantment just makes these creatures infinitely large. Let me make this dream bigger. You're playing Band, so you play turn one Lanowar Elves. Turn two Broker Ascendancy into turn three Elspeth. Yeah, in Pioneer, that mana is still very tricky to do that, but... We're living a dream here. Don't mess with the dream. 
any any four mana planeswalker that makes a creature like even Kazmina enigmatic mentor is actually pretty good with this effect you just play this turn children three oko and you pretend you're winning with this and not oko yeah there you go that's another <laughs> you just lie to yourself and says no no this is the ascendancy oko is doing nothing so specifically planeswalkers that minus to produce tokens or plus planeswalkers but... yeah planeswalkers that make tokens yep because then you're getting all the benefit. The creatures are going to get infinitely large, but they're really incentivized to kill the Planeswalker. And like Kazmina, for instance, requires more mana to be targeted. So they probably have to attack it. She's making a blocker every time and looting. Um, I actually think it's like reasonably playable, and I'm not like a Kazmina enigmatic mentor uh, stan, as the kids would say. <laughs> oh, the four mana Kazmina. I was like yeah. trying to figure out why. <laughs> like, I thought we, we tried the three mana Kazmina, and it was terrible. I was... I was pondering, yeah, I was on the same spot, like, how? Okay, the, the one that makes little wizards that, and draws a card. That loots every time I see. as part of the ability. So again, she it's a minus one to make a 3-3 three, three that loots, and then the 3-3 the three, three next turn is going to become a 4-4, four, four, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a growing creature, so it's like, a, I don't know, a Fungusaur or whatever boomer <laughs> card you want to think of. <laughs> and it has Ward, I think. And it has, she, the creatures and planeswalkers you control have Ward 2. <laughs> this is legitimately this is something that we can do in Pioneer for sure. I can four one a league with four Kazmina, <laughs> some number of uh Elspeth Sons Warden and Bant tri uh and uh Bant, whatever the hell this is, Ascendancy. I believe the card you're looking for is Spara's Headquarters, the Forest Plains Island. <laughs> yeah, that has a lot of resonance, is what we like to call when we <laughs> when we talk about how things relate to people. We want something that resonates with them. You know, Spara's headquarters. So you look at a card like Savannah. You you think of a card like Savannah, and you're like, oh man, I know what a Savannah is. This makes sense. Or or uh, Bayou or something. That makes sense. But instead, we have this fucking random plane that you know we're not going to come back to for 17 years <laughs> that no one knows or cares anything about. And it's like, oh, this is this guy's house or this guy's you know bedroom or somebody's play area or whatever it's just like who are these people who gives a shit what's going on why are why are lands as as more was just very eloquently describing that are always going to be in play named after random people on a plane we've not visited for the first 27 years of magic i mean we, we thought the same thing about triumphs like no one can really tell me anything about the rogue rim or the ketria or who the sagoth are no one even cares because Ikoria might have the worst lore department, like, giving you info I have ever seen. Like, I have zero info who the hell Ketri are and who cares about companions and who hates, hates them, besides the fact Maru hates companions due to the lords in humans. Flavor text. Like, that's the only info I have. The lore in humans flavor text. The, the, the human lords flavor text are the only info I have about who hates who, and it's Maru hate companions. The thing is, though, like... It at least you knew that it was a triumph. So you'd say, oh, I'm playing the Jeskai triumph. Everyone knew what you meant, even though maybe they didn't know it was Rogren. <laughs> I, I certainly don't know their name. But now you're like, oh, I'm playing the <laughs> Bant triumph. Like, what is that? I don't know. It's Lucy's, you know, playhouse. Yeah. <laughs> Mecha Godzilla's hot tub. It could have yeah. been worse. <laughs> I could have been a lot worse. I'm, a, I'm annoyed that they are not called the same. Like, if they had all been called Tower, I wouldn't mind. Right. Like, if they had some sort... Like, the Triumphs, at least, exist only as Triumphs, but they are the five Triumphs. My problem is the fact that it's called Headquarters, Tower, Lunch, Proving Grounds, and Garden. Yeah, Proving Grounds is just like a boxing ring. 100%. <laughs>
And the, fa and the worst part is, they are not called after the guild, after the shard, they are called just after the person in charge. Right. Which is... Uh, who may or may not be a powerful card, right? So if, if some of these cards are very powerful, like I don't know who Rafine is, uh, but he or she may be a very powerful card and see a ton of play. So that might have some resonance for a younger person playing. But let's imagine that Rafine uh, is, uh, you know, a super overcosted like mythic rare that sees no play. So it's like, oh yeah, this is a Rafine's tower. Like who's Rafine? I don't know, man. I wasn't around. <laughs> Capenna came out and this card sees no play in Pioneer Modern, you know, whatever new Pioneer ends up being historic. I get it, yeah. Also, but I'm just in love with Crisis being maestros. <laughs> I'm just gonna avoid what I love. Sure. This is, I, I just love the small positivity. Riveteers is a cool name. Cabaretti isn't. But I'm gonna take what I can and take maestros and Riveteers. And I'm gonna just skate and rest. I mean, they could have called it Maestro's Tower, but I'm sure they reserved that for like the common land cycle. And exactly, stuff. and it's called... A real Sanders Lounge. Yeah, Sanders Lounge. Our Maestro's Tower and Broker's Tower, Obscura Tower, Rivetiras and Cabaretti's Tower would have been quite a lot better. That's that's my pain. Not the fact that they're in triumphs, it's the fact they didn't just go with the logical sense of name plus. Yeah, or just call them all headquarters, right? Because every gang has a headquarters. Like something that has some kind of resonance. Like we don't know who Rafine or exactly. any of these people are. And again, some people might in the future, they might become iconic cards, but all five of them aren't going to be. That's not what history tells us. Hmm. But uh, last thing before we move regarding the flavor. I just love that Elspeth's pack. Elspeth is my favorite Plainswalker. I don't care about Omnixilis. Omnixilis can bite a bullet for I care. But I just love Elspeth. <laughs> Wait, is Omnixilis confirmed for the set as well? Omnixilis is causing mayhem in the five demon. So this, the the only thing we have regarding the Lord of 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 Capena is the fact it's mafia, five mafia families in a city, and its mafia is leader by demons. And Omnixilis is doing is involved with one of them, likely the Grixis one or the. We all know it's the Grixis or Esper one. That's how it works, always. So Nixilis is doing something shady and Elspeth Tyrell is trying to stop it. That's what we know about the lore. Alright, so that's Streets of New Capenna. We are about one month away from the beginning of preview week. So we have some time still to forget about all this. <laughs> and, Enjoy. and suffer in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can't wait to see Rafine's card and Xander's, <laughs> um, Xander's backstory. All right, one last piece of business before we close out for today. We've got a follow-up on actually a card from a few weeks back. The card that was the winner of our Brewer's Choice poll, namely Isochron Scepter. Why did you make this win, everybody? We had beautiful cards in there. <laughs> we had dreams of greatness. <laughs> so, David, Emmy... You guys workshopped this car a little bit. I think Zach was on that episode too. I don't know uh, what your feeling was coming out of that discussion, but I gotta say, having played with Isochron some more now, this card sucks. It's, uh... I don't know what it is. It's like, is it a card from a bygone era, or is it the fact that even back then, Isochron was not a good card? No, Isochron was a good card back then. I think you're forgetting how good this card was. David had the exact answer. A card from a different era, a simpler time. That's it. It's also worth noting, and I, you know, I've, I hate to be pedantic because I feel like I say the same thing all the time. They're so um, agnostic about 
card type. It used to be really hard to kill Isochron Scepter. No one could ever get rid of it in game one. That was that was a thing that was always true. If you didn't counter it, it was down forever. Now we have March as a new card. Uh, three mana Teferi can bounce it. Culligan's Command. Not even bounce it. You cannot cast through Teferi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can ignore it. Five mana Teferi can get rid of it if it matters. Uh, or it just pluses to basically do more than Isochron Scepter. <laughs> it gives you two mana back and the card that Isochron Scepter is giving you. Um, I'm missing I'm missing a handful of cards that are just main deckable. They, they kill Scepter. Prismatic Ending, Colin's Command, Knight of Forum. I'm just, think, I'm just talking about stuff that destroyed my Scepter tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go through a list of stuff that destroyed my Scepter. Yeah. <laughs> Boseshu, Potawara, Pithing Needle. I'm, I'm just making memory of the League. <laughs> That's yeah, all the stuff that stole my scepter. Witherbloom Command. Witherbloom Command. <laughs> oh boy. Abrupt yeah, decay. Yeah. Trophy. <laughs> okay, so here's what happened to me. First match, first game, I get paired against a blue red deck. Is it Murktide? I'm like, oh great, they don't have main deck artifact destruction. This scepter is gonna be so great. They played freaking Ragavan. Ragavan <laughs> connected, stole my Teferi Time Ravel off of my deck. They cast it, which automatically destroyed me because I'm playing a blue-white control deck. It was beautiful. Then their Teferi, or my Teferi, I should say, bounced my Isochron Scepter, so I lost my card there. But even if I hadn't done that, mm -hmm. like Emmy is saying, you can't activate Isochron with Teferi in play. <laughs> so I'm like already like very discouraged. And then Ragavan connects two more times and steals an Isochron Scepter from the top of my deck. And then they cast my Isochron and imprint a Lightning Bolt on it and kill me with that. So wait. Unpopular opinion alert, Isochron Scepter great in blue-red Murktide? Question <laughs> yes. mark, question mark? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what you should get out of these. They look very <laughs> impressive in their... I mean, the fact that they didn't have to put it in their deck, if you could just have an Isochron Scepter as a companion, it would be a fantastic card. It was almost like a Karn tutor into your library. Oh, four mana Karn is another card that beats Scepter. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe you just put one Isochron in your Karn wishboard in some kind of spell-heavy <laughs> Karn deck. Well, all right, we, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So I played a list. I mean, you played a list. Uh, Sadly. Who should start? I mean, do you want to go first? I'm going to go first because I'm a bit less hating it than you. So I went ahead and took it for the, through the more treatment. Add 80 cards play a mid-range pile that just has value and a sort of sideboard and sort of a combo lock plan. I was playing four broadback, four scepter, three ephemerates, the pitch elementals, Captain Ranger of Fios and Kami, and the Kami that has the Sport Frog effect, but it's white so you can pitch it to Solitude, so strictly better Sport Frog, don't add me. And the plan was to just get the Kami on board, get a Captain Ranger on board, scepter with broadback, and just Lock your opponent out of combat or casting spells with Captain Ranger, Sport Frog, eh, Kami, plus Broadback on the Scepter. It happened literally zero times. <laughs> I got a 3-2 that would have been a 4-1 if I knew how to play the game correctly. But that was just Broadback, Pitch Elemental, Sragavan doing stuff. Did you ever set up any like Isochron Scepter value kind of chains? I I won a game. I won. I got two games where I got value out of Scepter. One where I got an Ephemerate as a two mana, you're con almost counterspell against removal, and a second one against what's the name of this? I can't quite put the name of it. Against a Shun Ragdos, a Shun Saga pile where I just went turn two, imprint the Alambri, turn three, 
Turn 3, get a Fury, Wiper Board. Turn 4, get a Solitude, Wiper Board. Turn 5, get an Omnath on the end step and tap Omnath, get a Witness. I just went like, Elamris call every single turn until I won. Oh, and Elamris call because you can fetch cards and functional removal spells that cost no mana. Exactly. The two mana doesn't... Oh, that's interesting. That was like the best synergy I had with it. But the problem was, I was afraid of ever just playing the Scepter instead of just going for like the Elamris call itself because of how vulnerable it is in the current state of affairs. Like, I was never like, okay, this deck cannot remove it. I was always like, I don't want you to get two for one. On turn two. So you didn't give Isochron a chance to shine. You never slammed it on turn two. No, I slammed it on turn two on that well, game. Well, you just described the, yeah. one, the one game. He played it turn two, then Eladomri's called three or four consecutive turns. I was only on to five, so I had to. And then I got it on a broadback, and then I put a broadback on it, and it just got Witherbloom Command, and I, sh- and I just started crying. <laughs> Witherbloom Command? The <laughs> ultimate three-for-one. <laughs> they killed my Ragavan, and my, I went turn one Ragavan on turn two that, and they killed both on turn two, and I was like, this is not worth it. I'm not going to be the same after getting three-for-one for white for Witherbloom Command of full cards in Magic. <laughs> <laughs> it was just devastating. Okay, so you had 80 card deck. 80 card deck as per usual. 14 spells that can, you can imprint and four Ice Cron Scepters. Was it a density thing? Was it just like you didn't no. draw Ice Cron often enough? I, I, I have a few screenshots. Let me look at it. Like every single game I lost, I lost with one or two Scepters in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> like I always had an extra Scepter than I wanted. And it always was like top deck mode, draw a Scepter that does nothing. And if it had been literally any card in Magic, I maybe would have won this game. Like, I was playing a four-color mid-range pile that featured four really bad cards. Like, 99% mm. of the time. It just felt extremely underwhelming when compared with any other grindy card in the format. Like, playing several iteration is just like, maybe I'm making a, a mistake. I had the amazing screenshot beating four-color BTL where I went turn four Omnath, turn five Silence You, attack, turn six and here comes the biggest scenario you have. I, I had the decision of casting Fury and casting Silence, or playing Scepter and making the Scepter Silence lock. And it was a better decision not to lock my opponent and just try to kill them fast, because I knew they were playing Otawara and Teferi and Prismatic Ending. And any cyborg card they brought in. Like, they had so many artifact remo- removals in there. They were like five man and tap on my end step, and I was like, it's better to try and lock them with the scepter or just go for one extra drop with the silence and hope it's enough. Oh, I didn't even think of Atwara even just beats the silence combo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, it's, even if you have, the, you have the perfect lock, you have the Ferry, you have scepter, you have silence, you have every single card for like a perfect, perfect lock. But that one. Poseju. <laughs> Poseju, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like. If I tap down for this scepter and they can remove it, I lose the game. But if I cast a silence, maybe I survive. And they go next turn to the hand and it's like three prismatic getting, so I would have been extremely dead. <laughs> and I just managed to get an Embra Cool Sky Shift or Lorlands and away and win. And it's like. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you had Embra Cool 13 to take their turn? I just had like eight mana and they were like, they had seen the Embra Cool and, and I just went like. Last turn I played an Abundant Growth on my faceland for the sneaky put the enchantment in the graveyard for Delirium. Oh. And then I untap on turn 9, fetch that fetchland, put the Abundant into the graveyard, play Bossetius my ninth land, Embracool, go to your turn, express iteration, bring to light for escape shift, sacrifice all my lands, get nothing. <laughs> oh my 
have a space oh. if kill them, but then I risk misclicking. And that's not <laughs> right. a risk I'm willing to take. Right. <laughs> I'm going to kill them with my giant flying stuff. Yeah. Emrakul will take care of it if you kill all their lands, that's for sure. So I love the idea of brought back an Eladarmi's call on a scepter, but it sounds like just that that dream is dead. It just didn't work out. I mean, they were amazing cards. I won a lot of games on the back of Broadback and Elamris Call. I even won three rounds on the back of Elamris Call and Broadback. <laughs> I was chatting with uh, Jerry T about your deck because he's, he's a boomer like David and myself. And <laughs> when he hears Isochron Scepter, he's just like, he can't, he can't help it. He's like, I got to see that list. He was kind of interested. He thought maybe if you played Ether Vile that you could get some kind of eternal witness, ephemerate, silence loop going, even without the Scepter in play. So I came to this realization is, in what specific scenario is Vial better than Ragavan? When you're trying to do a loop with eternal witness no, 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 and no. ephemerate no, no. and silence. Like, assume- I just described it to you. You need like these six cards but going he- uninterrupted. But here's the, ro- here's the tough part. Assume your opponent cannot deal with them. Because 70% of removal that kills Ragavan kills Vial. Around that number, likely. Like, the, the amount of removal that kills one and kills the other is extremely close. Hmm. Yeah, only Bolt and the... Uh, and Holy Heat. And Unholy Heat, basically. And those decks fit Colan's command, so even then they're going to remove the Vial. Yeah, and, and, Ren, and Ren and Six, but... Yeah. Exactly. But if I open it goes through one turn two, ping, it's not as bad as it could be. But the thing is... If Ragavan survives, the upside is so much bigger than if Vial survives. Like, so stupidly big. And I won against, against Asolius Control, where the only thing I did was, like, that's Ragavan. That's Ragavan. They Solitude. Ephemerate Ragavan. Attack with Ragavan. They kill it. Got a second Ragavan. That's Ragavan. Two for one yourself again. And just play that game on the back of them having Prismatic Ending in hand, being uncastable against my dash Ragavans. And that was it. That's how I won the game. Literally. Wait, did I play against you and not realize it? Because that happened to me. <laughs> More? Was that you? No, no, Ragavan is just so strong as a card. Like, I got a 5-0 with 4-color midrange a few hours ago where I mulligan to 4 and 1 on the back of Ragavan. Oh, well. Hey, congrats on the 5-0. I was, thanks. I was playing a Shiskaya Sentence. I was like, Ragavan hit, play a Cariatid. Ragavan hit, play a Serum Visions. Ragavan hit, play a Cariatid. Ragavan hit, play a Serum Visions. It was like a 5 for 1 that did the daily damage. It just makes no sense. The upside of Ragavan is so big that playing any other 1-drop in terms of ramping you makes no sense. It's just so stunningly superior on the times it survives. Even if I love Vial, I love it or Vial, but the amount of removal that kills both is starting to reach a point that... If one survives, it's pretty likely the other will. And that's mm. not even counting the ones that just die to stuff like like Pissing Needle. Alright, so no love for Isochron in the four-color value pile. Not on my side, but what about you? <laughs> Let the hate flow through you. <laughs> I decided to go a little more traditional, a little more old school. So I took the blue-white Teferi Scepter Lock concept that David had sketched up for us a few weeks ago. I stared at it for a long time. You know, it had four Silence, four Isochron Scepter, and four Teferi. And the idea being that once Isochron has Silence on it, they can only get out of that lock 
with instant speed if you just silence them every upkeep. And then Teferi finishes it off. But the more I thought about it, it's like, man, like Icecron's probably pretty bad and silence seems horrible. Plus issue. <laughs> this is even yeah. This is even before the yeah, lock doesn't even work anymore. <laughs> we waited too long to try these decks. <laughs> they printed them way out of the lock. So I was thinking like Icecron has already got an uphill battle. I don't want to drag the deck down any further by like having a silence, which is also kind of a dead card. So what if I just like try to just use Icecron for pure value? I lower my ceiling, but I lower my I raise my floor. So instead of playing Silence, I'm playing Piracy Charm as my lock piece, right? Why prevent them from casting spells when I can just draw a step, Piracy Charm them every turn until they give up? Not because they're dead, but because they're tired of watching me click through in my slow pace on the interface. <laughs> they're like, forget this. So we're in basically blue-white, classic blue-white control. We had four Ice Crons, but I cut it to three at the last minute because, you know, the car's a little weak. Three Piracy Charms three Isochron Scepters, and then the rest of the deck is a more or less established blue-white core. If you think of a deck like Wafotapa or Mr. Kefliet would play, you know, you have some mix of Solitudes, Teferis, a Wandering Emperor. Why are you talking about Wafo? The only card that's like slightly, slightly interesting is Opt. <laughs> why are you talking about Wafo in two ways? Like, why would you refer to him in two names? <laughs> No, I was referring to the same person. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Kafuid and Wafodaba, like different entities? Yes. Come on, Dan. It's like saying something like Daniel or Cave Dan would play. <laughs> yeah, no, like um, Miley and Hannah. You know, we all understand. <laughs> it's the same person. Miley and Hannah. That's this. I don't know if that's the boomerest or summerest thing I can ever hear Daniel say. And I just impressed <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the level of comment. But, so anyway, so there's yeah. four opt in here instead of a card like Spreading Seas because I just want like a little more instance. I think I came up with what is it, fourteen instance that I could imprint on the Ice Crown Scepter. Although imprinting a March of Otherworldly Light is not very impressive because it turns out that even if you exile additional cards, you can't raise the value of X. It's going to be locked at zero. Um, yeah, I mean I'm two and two in my league right now. Ice Crown is not very good. But I have diligently gathered screenshots of every time it did something. I already <laughs> described some of my opponents on Is It Murktide having an impressive win with my Isochron against me. For anyone wondering, 50% of the screenshots of the Simpler doing stuff are not on the side of Dan's board. Casting lightning bolt on his end step for two mana colorless colon. 50% of this good Scepter stuff is not from the side of Dan. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Take it with a grain of salt and just have that info with you. So an interesting thing I discovered was that if you're in a control mirror, like I played against Murktide twice so far, eventually you'll want to something cheap to start a counter war. And Isochron can be that thing. So like I have a picture of a stack here with Isochron that I'm casting, and then there's just like a bunch of counter spells getting fired back and forth. We're fighting over Isochron. They respect it. They fear it. What they don't know is that by the time I cast all my counterspells, I actually had nothing left to imprint on Icecron Scepter, but they didn't know that, so they just scooped to the resolved Icecron. <laughs> if they had let it resolve, they would see that I would just like resolve a Celestial Purge and pass the turn awkwardly. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't doing anything amazing. I never got to Piracy Charm lock anyone. I did slam it on turn two once, put an opt on it, and that did win the game, but I'm not Totally sure that was better than just casting opt. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, that's how I felt. It's like, should I put this Elamra in the scepter for to try and get value? Or, hear me out, I Elamra is for witness and do that regardless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was like the biggest problem. So, I don't know. I mean, was I being too conservative with this build? What do you think? I... Uh, I'm gonna say the worst thing I can ever say about a brew, which is like... The best... Like, some cards, the best treatment you can give them is... Like, for example, if you ever make me play Death Cloud, I'm gonna grab four color midrange and play 84 cards with four Death Cloud. And I'm not even gonna have black mana. And that's the best Death Cloud deck in Modern. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had a comment like that, today, and I'm like, yeah, and that's the best scepter modern. I'm gonna grab my four color mirage field. I'm gonna put four scepter on it without changing a single card, and that's gonna be the best scepter deck in modern. I mean, I did feel like maybe I'm betraying the concept by not just like going four silence, four isochron, and just see if I can do it. But it's just the problem with the part of the card. I was running four silence in my sideboard. I had zero main deck for sideboard. And they came in a bunch of times, but yeah, that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly the power level of the card is just not where the format is, taking into account the amount of interaction they now have against it. Like, picture if you're playing against Hilliard and they just collected companies to Skyclave Apparition and you just cry to a corner. Like, just the most random stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is. The the high roll has already has always existed, but now there's just every way in the world to interact with it. So even the it's like Ethervile, right? Ethervile used to be like, all right, sometimes you draw it on turn six and it sucks, but lots of times you draw it in your opening hand and it's good. And so when people say like Ethervile is bad now, they mean like the high roll games when you draw in your opening hand, a huge number of those games it dies if it matters. And that's what's happening here is you can never slam it on two on the play and feel comfortable. Sometimes you might get there, but like even the times when it's doing exactly what you want, you're still going to maybe get two for one. And every time that happens, you basically can't win the game. Yeah, at least Bayal is just a one-for-one tempo swing. And, like, the problem with Dragon, the problem with Bayal is on its floor, it's as bad as Dragavan, and it's its roof, on its ceiling, it's not as good as Dragavan. Here, its floor is, like, double as bad, four times as bad as Bayal, double the mana, double the cards. <laughs> and its roof... You are just casting a bad eternal witness ephemerate loop. Yeah, and so you think like you have to spend four mana to one for two yourself at the uh, at the end of all that. So you have to activate it twice to get your card back. No, no, we just activating it once. The opponent eventually deals with it, and it's a two for two. Like as long as you get one activation, if it costs them a card. Oh yeah, it's the K command, not even. But I guess yeah. most stuff, like with one activation, you're already trained on, on parity. But that just goes downwards really, 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 really fast. If you go turn two separate, your opponent goes turn three death minus, I would just stretch my hands, say good game, and concede and go to next save. Yeah, I mean, the, the way that you get carded, the way that you lose card advantage now is you get to spend zero mana to do it, right? So sometimes you have to two for one yourself with solitude because you do an instant speed for no mana. This <laughs> threatens to two for one yourself. For up to four mana. <laughs> and then you had Force of Pigord. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. I'm just dreaming of the dream where you get... <laughs> like, this is never going to happen. But when I started playing Magic, a guy in the FNM player, I was like... I, I was at the, at the LCS I played at the FNM. 
was playing Sheskai Scepter and I was playing Taxes. And he went turn 2 Scepter and I went turn 3 Wasteland Strangler. And I have never seen a man leave a game so fast and tilted. Oh god, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> you, proce- you processed I, I processed the Exile card and that was the first Rage Concede I ever had in a game of Magic. Like, let's not even think about the worst case scenario where you're feeding your opponent's Wasteland Strangler, which is never going to happen. <laughs> but it could. It could happen to you. <laughs> All right, so are there any stones left unturned for Isochron Scepter? Like, should I should I go back to the drawing board? Should I bust out the Tezzeret Betrayer of Flesh <laughs> Isochron Scepter Miracles deck? I'm just going to say, the only way I can touch Sever again is someone giving me an actually inspiring idea. Like someone somehow turning a rock and just striking gold and saying, Mord, you didn't try this. Like, hmm. you didn't process this small piece of data. Like, unless someone actually finds like something new, something innovative, something we didn't consider, like in the current state of affairs, the card is not more playable. Because of that. Having to use four mana to get a two for one when I could just express iteration on the Fetty Vernon Six. Any combination of new cards that are just so much more powerful is really tough. Which is a shame because it's a really interesting and fun card. Jerry told me that he feels like you should be allowed to imprint Fire Ice on Ice Crown Scepter, like. The CMC should be too kind of like the Stoneforge Mystic Precon exception to the rule. If if you're a gentleman of a certain age, you should be allowed to do that. I <laughs> exactly. Think, <yeah. laughs> as long as you're specifically imprinting it on Ice Crown Scepter, Fire Ice has CMC too. Okay, now <laughs> they look at your the number of gray hairs on your uh, at your temples, and they're like, "All right, this man or woman has uh, lived, through, seen some shit. They get to put Fire Ice on it." Okay, now I just found the only way in Scepter could be played, which is in a frantic inventory deck. It doesn't even put it in your graveyard. It like nerfs the frantic inventory. No, but once once you put two in your graveyard, it's like two mana draw three. <sighs> and that's the only combination of cards I can think of. If someone gives me a good frantic inventory scepter deck, it's the only way I can try it. And that's because I just love accumulated knowledge. <sighs> Alright. I'm gonna I'm gonna try the Tezzeret deck. Now yes! I feel like we can't leave it on this note. This is too sad. I got a three two. That would have been a four one if I knew Tothy did stuff. Like I knew yeah, but but it's not a nice cron deck. No, no, it was just Broadback doing Broadback stuff, more doing more stuff. Like it was just Solitude being a good card. So you're proposing using the Tezzeret so it's free to activate your scepter. That's what you're saying, Dan. Yeah, that's Dan's plan. Yes, and I'm gonna put a Brainstone in there because that's also good with Tezzeret. No, and I'm gonna don't play, play Brainstone. It's a trap. All right, I mean, let's just—I mean, let's do it, man. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna leave it here for now. I'm gonna be back with these results later. Oh, Moonstar prototype also beats. Uh... <laughs> Wait, God damn it! Damn it. <laughs> Which you'll probably have in your Tesseract deck. <laughs> I love that we keep finding cards that just crash. <laughs> so wait, <sighs> wait, how did how did it work with Tesseract? How was the Moonstar's Tesseract interaction? Uh, it turns out that's a bug. You're not allowed to channel it at a discount. Okay, yeah, that was... Magical Online lets you do it, but you're not supposed to be able to do it. Oh. Yeah, because you had an interaction with the enchantment guy that allowed you to, and that was yeah. actually fair, so that got a bit confusing. 
All right, so we better stop here for Icecrown for now, but we are not done for this week. Uh, we have our brew session coming up in our Sunday show. There, we're going to take a look at some enchantment strategies. A nifty little tool called Commune with Spirits, which is kind of like an Ancient Stirrings or a Commune with Dinosaurs, if you, if you prefer, but specifically for enchantments. So we've got some concepts there, a little bit in Modern and some in Pioneer as well. And we'll also follow up on our testing results we played with Hinata Dawn Crowned from last week and some reanimator builds that David proposed two weeks ago. We'll tell you all about that, how those leagues went. So check back on this podcast feed in just a couple of days and we'll see you then. All right. Take care, gentlemen. Take care. Bye-bye. That's a wrap on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Tune in next week for our testing results and download the latest deck lists at faithlessbrewing.com. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you'd like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.